listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. This is one of those dangerous passages of Scripture. There are passages in the Bible that are particularly dangerous because we think we understand them. Now, every passage of Scripture really is dangerous because it contains God's agenda, God's heart, God's mind, God's strategy for how we develop our character, for how we are changed and transformed to be more like what he envisions for us, and how we can advance and spread his kingdom. But some passages of Scripture, like this one, are particularly dangerous because we think we understand what they say. We've been there, done that, we've read them maybe one or two, three, four, five, maybe more times. We've heard them preached before, and therefore they're dangerous because we think we understand what they say. And we tend to gloss over them, go to other passages of Scripture. But here, this passage is vitally important. It's worth a second look, a deep, prolonged look, as you discover for yourself what are you doing with Jesus. What does it mean to give Jesus what he wants? In Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. It's a passage of Scripture that we've heard. If we've known Christ for any length of time, we've heard it multiple times. The story of Martha and Mary and how, yeah, I don't need to be busy. I shouldn't be busy. I should be like Mary. I should be like Martha. And the temptation is we're just going to go to the next passage of Scripture because we've been here. We've done that before. We get it. We understand Jesus' teaching. Listen, the older I get, the more I realize that I don't really understand the teachings of Jesus as thoroughly as I should. And therefore, In many cases, I'm not applying the teachings of Jesus as thoroughly as I really could, as I really should. And I've been around long enough to realize that most likely you and I have a lot in common, a lot more in common than we might first think. Look with me at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, what had just happened? Jesus gave that famous story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and Jesus, in verse 36 of chapter 10, asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy, the lawyer, the teacher of the law. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So on the heels of this trip, on the heels of that teaching, this particular instance happens. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She does what is noble, what is honorable, what is respectable. 
She gets off to a fantastic start. She does what probably you would do if you heard about Jesus being in the area. You'd want to have Jesus over to your house, wouldn't you? You'd want to have Jesus to your house, wouldn't you? If Jesus was coming your way, if Jesus, this worker of miracles, this teacher, this one who's able to do phenomenal, amazing things, one who taught with authority, not as the teachers of the law, when Jesus opened his mouth, you would hang on every single word. Jesus is in town. Who's going to host Jesus? Well, this woman named Martha is going to host Jesus, just like you would want to host Jesus. And just like you, she wants to put on a spread for Jesus. She's getting out the best dinnerware, most likely, putting out the best foods, most likely, in that particular culture, similar to the culture that we live in here in York. You want to have a few entrees, not just one. You want to have a few things to nosh on, not just Martin's potato chips, not just Utz potato chips, not just pretzels. You want to have a few things to sink your teeth into. And so there's a lot of work that has to be done when you have a guest over to your house. You want that guest to feel welcomed. You want that guest to feel comfortable. You want that guest to leave your house being thankful that they came in the first place. And so Martha does what most of us would do. She works her fingers to the bone, putting on a spread for Jesus, serving Jesus. In fact, she does such a good job serving Jesus that she forgets to enjoy Jesus. Look with me. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, how is that even possible? She's doing a noble, honorable thing by serving Jesus. And yet in the midst of her serving, Luke, the writer of this gospel, characterizes her in a negative way. He's not slamming her, but he's contrasting the actions and behavior of Martha with the actions and behavior of Mary. Two sisters, same household, same family of origins, but diametrically opposed methodologies in what it means to honor Jesus, to serve Jesus. One of them is spoken of in a commendable way by Jesus, and we'll get there. And the other one is spoken of in a negative way, and a compassionate way by Jesus. Notice what Jesus says in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you can almost hear him now. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary's chosen the good portion. You know, I wouldn't put it past Jesus in this passage of Scripture to liken himself to a meal or an entree that's being served. Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things, all of the preparations, all of the meal details, all of this activity, which you're ironically doing for me. All these portions that you're setting out, all these things that you're providing, but Martha, all I need is one portion. And Martha, 
All you need is one portion too. I haven't asked you to do all of these things for me. Your sister Mary is a good example for you to learn from. I wouldn't be surprised that Jesus is using the meal that's being prepared and all of the foods that are there and all of the activity there, but especially the foods, to compare himself in an analogy, a teachable moment, as being the meaty morsel at the table. The real portion. This is a story of contrasts where somebody is serving Jesus in their own understanding of what Jesus expects, what Jesus anticipates. I remember driving down the highway one time and seeing a bumper sticker on the back of a car. Maybe you've seen it. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Jesus is coming. Look busy. There's so much work to do. In fact, Jesus has just finished teaching in recent history in this gospel. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Yes, that's an issue. It's hard to get people to serve Jesus. It's hard to get enough people to do the work of God. Jesus himself had difficulty in his day being understaffed. And yet Jesus is helping us understand that the primary thing that a servant must do is serve him in his ways, to serve Jesus in the ways that Jesus wants to be served. Some of us are serving Jesus in ways that he never asked us to serve. Some of us are serving Jesus in ways that he never asked us to serve. And some of us, like Martha, are looking at other people and wondering and getting frustrated. Why won't you tell other people to serve you the way I'm serving you? It seems like a legitimate problem. Martha ends up being the hostess. She's burning herself out trying to be the hostess with the mostest. She's understaffed. Her sister's right there, and she's getting ticked at her sister because what's her sister doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. You know, what is wrong with you, Mary? What is your problem? Don't you see all the work that has to be done? This is Jesus in our house for Pete's sake. Jesus is in our house. What are you doing wasting your time sitting there when there is work to be done? What is your problem? Don't you see, don't you comprehend that Jesus is in our house? Don't you understand that I'm putting portions before him? I'm preparing a meal for him. He's probably hungry. He's been traveling. Jesus has been pouring himself out for all these people. That's what he exists for, it seems. He's always serving other people. He lived for the will of his Father. He gave his life so that you could have life, so that I could have life. Everything about Jesus was for the, the, the betterment of other people, beginning with his Father. We're recipients of the goodness of Jesus today. Mary, what is your problem? Can you not roll up your sleeves? Can you not get off your duff and do something for Jesus? Here he is. What's wrong with you? And she takes her case right to Jesus. Lord, can you please help me out? Surely, 
you can identify with my frustration. Surely you can understand that I'm doing all of this for you. I'm wanting to serve you. I am serving you. And yet the gospel writer says that Martha was distracted. I lived on a 26-acre farmette in New Jersey, and I know that that sounds like a contradiction, but it's true. We had pigs. We had beef cattle. I used to go to the slaughterhouse and watch them kill the cows. I used to go into the back of the truck, the refrigerated truck, and help them slice the meat just the way my mother and father wanted it and wrapped it in that white wax-coated paper that you use when you're cutting up, butchering, grass-fed, grain-fed cattle. T-bone steaks like you have never eaten in your life. Yes, real filet mignon. Yes, absolutely delicious. Sliced the way my mother and father wanted them. Prepared the way we wanted them on the grill. Broiled just right. Seasoned perfectly. I grew up on that farm, and we also had chickens. And we had a stump with two nails in it, placed close together. And it began with my father holding the chicken, stretching out the neck of the chicken between those two nails and raising that hand axe and coming down in most instances in the right spot. And then my dad would let go of that chicken, and that chicken would literally flop around and sometimes run around, splattering all over the place, making a mess, going in every which way, discombobulated because it was the head was disconnected from the body. And then my father got smart, and then he would begin to tie the wings of the chicken and the legs so that the chicken couldn't flop around all over the place. But the point is, if you've ever seen, as now you have, a chicken run around with its head cut off, you know that it's a humorous sight, it's a ridiculous sight, and many of us in the body of Christ. Hello? Running around doing things for Jesus like a chicken with its head cut off. You know anybody who does so much for Jesus that they're running around like a chicken without their head? Hurrying and scurrying and going this way and that way, doing so much, being spread so thin that you are missing Jesus in the midst of everything you're doing. You're missing Jesus. Now, Jesus would have had a perfect opportunity here here to tell Martha, you know what, you're right. You're a little bit wrong and your sister's a little bit wrong. And you're a little bit right, and your sister's a little bit right, so let's, like a middle child would do, let's bring everybody together, find out the truth, find out what's wrong, come to a consensus, and grow and learn from this. Jesus does not do that. What does Jesus do? He says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you're so busy serving me, quote-unquote, serving me, that it's resulted in a tremendous amount of anxiety. You know, some of us are carrying around anxiety because we're doing things that Jesus hasn't asked us to do. Did Jesus ask you to do it? Did Jesus ask you to wow him and to put on such a presentation as if Jesus needs to be impressed by you? 
Some of us are so busy doing things for Jesus, serving Jesus, that we are troubled about many things. We are troubled about many things. You know, it's possible to serve Jesus without enjoying Jesus. You know, it's possible to serve Jesus. It's not beneficial. It's possible to serve Jesus without enjoying Jesus. We would call that service. Jesus would call it running around like a chicken with your head cut off. One thing is necessary, he says in verse 42, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. It's possible to serve, quote unquote, without enjoying Jesus. It's possible to compare your service for God with other people. It's possible to think that you are nobler than another person because of your busyness and your activity for God when really God is trying to get you to slow down, sit at his feet, and listen. Slow down, sit at his feet, and listen. You know, in 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 3, a potent passage of Scripture here, worthy of committing to memory, when the Apostle Paul said, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know, God might have called you to any number of things, fill in the blank, but I can tell you the one thing that God has called every single one of us to, without exception, pure and sincere devotion to Christ. You're not going anywhere. God hasn't called you anywhere. God hasn't called you to do anything without pure and sincere devotion to Christ. If you are doing anything, in fact, everything that you're doing, if it is not characterized by pure and sincere devotion to Christ, you need to sit down in the road. You need to stop doing what you're doing, and you need to become more like Mary and a lot less like Martha. Jesus, in many instances in the United States of America, is not asking us to do more. He's not. Jesus, in many instances, would want to sit down with us and say, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed. I didn't ask you to do all those other things. I asked you to do one thing. I asked you to have pure and sincere devotion to me. And Mary demonstrates it. Look with me in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, this is Paul at the temple grounds in Jerusalem, and here's what he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Look at this. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Look with me at Luke chapter 10. Verse 39, she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is the contrast. 
We see it in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. We see it here in Luke chapter 10. Sitting at the feet of somebody is indicative, it's reflective of being a disciple of the one who you're sitting under. This is remarkable that Luke is presenting a woman as being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. What is she doing? She's doing the greater work. She's doing the better thing. She is involved in the good portion. The implication is that Martha does not have the good portion. The implication is that what Mary is doing is exemplary. What Mary is doing is a model which Martha should emulate. What Mary is doing is a model that you should be following. It's a model that we should be following. I should be following. God might have called you to a lot of things, probably far fewer than you think he's called you to. But one thing you can bank on, one thing you can be absolutely certain of, God has called you to sit at the feet of Jesus, listen to him, and follow his teaching. You're not going anywhere in your service for God if you are not listening to the teachings of Jesus. What Luke is presenting for us is a model of discipleship. What does a disciple look like? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know what it looks like? It looks like sitting at the feet of Jesus and hanging on his every word, taking in what Jesus is saying. Because you know why that's important? Ministry, true ministry always happens in the overflow of intimacy with God. You will never be as effective for God in ministry as you otherwise would be if you were intimate with Jesus, if you were listening to Jesus, if you were sitting at the feet of Jesus, applying his word. See, you'll never be able to apply the teachings of Jesus if you are not listening to Jesus, who is the teacher. And Jesus is showing us very clearly with a busy hostess and a contrast with her sister, what it looks like to be a real, genuine disciple of Jesus. What thrills the heart of God is when a man, woman, boy, or girl is willing to stop everything and to give Jesus what he wants to sit down at the feet of Jesus and to hang on his every word because you're not going anywhere if you don't understand what Jesus is teaching. You see, Jesus is not just teaching you things so that you can teach other people. He's teaching you things. He's teaching me things so that we can learn some things about Jesus himself. So that we can learn some things about our own walk with God and then minister out of the overflow. Oh, what would happen in your life? What would happen in our lives? What would happen in my life if instead of trying to be busy for Jesus, 
and recreating God in my own image and trying to give him things that I think he wants that he never asked for, if instead I would sit at his feet and drink deeply from Jesus, learn from Jesus, take from Jesus what he wants to deposit into me, and then, and then minister out of the overflow. You know, ministry without intimacy is irony. Ministry without intimacy with God is irony. Is it possible to really minister as effectively as we otherwise could, as we otherwise should, if we're not personally prioritizing closeness with God? Ministry without intimacy is irony. It's just busyness. Jesus isn't impressed with busyness. You know, we're human beings, not human doings. Do not confuse busyness with spiritual maturity. Do not confuse busyness for Jesus with spiritual maturity. In fact, sometimes busyness for Jesus is spiritual immaturity. Ministry without intimacy is hypocrisy. Ministry without intimacy is tragedy. Why would we want to get people to follow a Jesus that we're not willing to listen to? In fact, many of the instances of ministry, this is the unintentioned hypocrisy because there are so many needs happening. So many needs that are going unmet. So many things that are happening around us where if we don't act, somebody else won't, just like this situation. If Martha wasn't willing to prepare the meal, apparently Mary wasn't going to be preparing it. So somebody had to do it. Somebody's got to do the work. But Jesus teaches us that many instances, the things that we think are important to him are not really important. The number one trait, the number one characteristic of a disciple is to sit at the feet of the disciple maker, Jesus. And Mary's doing it. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, and Jesus says, that is the good portion. The primary trait, the primary characteristic of a disciple is that they listen to the teacher. Take time to listen to the teacher. You can't go places that you should be going unless you're hanging tightly with Jesus, walking with him closely. Jesus will take you exactly where he wants you to go. He'll take you exactly where you need to be, but you need to first, I need to first listen to Jesus. Spend time listening to Jesus. The word became flesh lived among us for a while. The Gospel of John says, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh, lived among us for a while. Here is the Word became flesh in the house of Martha and Mary. And what is she doing? She's spending time with the Word. She's listening to the Word. She's demonstrating what it means to be a disciple. Now listen, you might be doing many things for Jesus, but if you're not listening to the Word, if you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, you are just a busybody. You are a chicken running around with your head cut off. 
doing things that Jesus never asked you to do. The first and foremost thing that you must be about if you are a follower of Jesus Christ is to sit at his feet and drink from the teachings of Jesus, to hang on the words of Jesus. What might it have been like to have sat there in the presence of Jesus and to hear his words? And we pastors are guilty of it. We want people to go places where we aren't. It's hypocrisy, it's irony, it's tragedy. How can we want people to go someplace where we aren't there? That's why it's so difficult to get pastors together in a city because we want to do ministry. We want to be like Martha and none of us would admit it openly. None of us would recognize it seriously, but that's what we are, we're busybodies. We're chickens without heads. That's why we can't be unified. And we want people to do what? To be like us, why? Why would you want to be like us? Why would you want to be like a church leader who has no walk with Jesus? Why would you want to be like somebody who's teaching in a seminary for many instances? And I taught in seminary as, a, as somebody who was an assistant. Struggled with doing that myself. Why would you want to be like somebody who's in a Bible college? Why would you want to be like a pastor? Trying to get you busy. Busy for Jesus. Why is that acceptable? Listen, my primary objective as a pastor is not to get you busy for Jesus, but to get you intimate with Jesus. Get you to sit at the feet of Jesus and be a disciple. I don't care if you don't do anything else in your life. If you don't sit at the feet of Jesus, you won't do anything significant for Jesus. I know that if I get you to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him, if I get you to spend time with the word of God, I know what will happen as a result. You'll hear from Jesus. You'll be like Mary. You'll start doing the one thing that you should do that everything else in your life hinges upon, sitting at the feet of Jesus, because that's what a disciple does. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.